Soul Regeneration Topic, a podcast by the Osteology Foundation. Hello, welcome to the Oral Regeneration Topic. Uh, it is my pleasure to be here with Dr. Mauricio Araujo from the State University of Maringá in Brazil. And we're here to talk about his key publication, Dimensional Reach Alterations Following Tooth Extraction, an Experimental Study in the Dog which was originally released in 2005. Dr. Araujo, thank you for being here with us. Thank you for inviting me, it's a pleasure. Thank you very much. Uh, so I would like to start with a general question about the genesis of the study. So how did you and your co-workers came up with the idea to conduct the study? Well, the origin of uh, this study, it came from a failure one of our colleagues in Sweden had a patient in which he extracted the tooth with a center incisor, he placed immediately an implant, and he thought by doing that he would somehow preserve the socket walls, the shape of the ridge, by providing immediately some function for the bone. What happens that uh, he failed because there was a big reduction of the bone volume and the clinical outcome was a, a very anesthetical center incisor. With that in mind, uh, we start to talk and, uh, and that was during a cough break that Professor Lin was in that cough break mm. with me and uh, Professor Lin said to me, listen Maurice, I think we should, we should start this. Let's study the socket healing process. Uh, I, I guess the socket walls are such a special bone defect that may behave in a different way, even if you have a four-wall defect. It's not a, a, a normal four-wall bone defect. It's very different. And then with that in our mind, Professor Linda and I, we started all our studies, and I, I think we were the 2005 was not the first study actually we had uh, the 2003 studies right. so but nevertheless that was the genesis was a clinical question mm -hmm. every star everything started because we have uh, we had a failure we are failing with this concept that placing an implant immediately following tooth extraction would somehow prevent bone reduction very good so from your explanation, I couldn't avoid thinking about steering the discussion, the conversation towards the clinical significance. No. Uh, so in your own words, what do you think is important to understand the biological events that take place under what we see as clinicians and to translate those to our clinical benefit and to the benefit of our patients, of course? Why is that important? Oof. Well, I think through the knowledge of the biological phases of sock healing, you can also bring some benefit of your clinical procedures. Let, let's start by saying the following. What the first step is blood clot formation? Well, blood clot is very important. If blood clot is not stable, it is moving, there will be no bone formation. If the blood clot is not protected, if you remove blood clot, there will be no bone formation to start with. And then let's say the following step would be the migration of inflammatory cells that we cleanse the area to prepare for tissue formation. Well, 
if I have a lot of antigens, if I have a lot of bacteria, debris, there will be so much uh, granulation tissue that will delay the healing, maybe that they even impair the healing. Then let's go to another phase of the healing, proliferative phase of the healing, in which we have the formation of the provisional organic matrix and its mineralization to form woven bone. Well, if you know that, we know that woven bone is a very soft bone. By itself, woven bone has no loading bearing capacity. It still needs to be protected. And finally, and by the way, you can also not also use woven bone for uh, achieve primary stability. But nevertheless, it's very important to have this bone because it has the capacity to form rather quickly and then occupy a space that otherwise might have been occupied by connected tissue, right? Fine. But now let's go to the second and the third and last phase of sorted healing. Then we talk about replacement. In terms of bone volume maintenance, it might be the most important because a socket, you don't have a problem about bone formation. Our major problem is to maintain the bone, the volume. And everything starts to go to go wrong when come the osteoclasts and they start the bone modeling process. And then they not only remove the woven bone to open space for lamellar bone and bone marrow formation, but they also change the shapes of the socket wall. And by that, we have this reduction. So, you know, all this knowledge, I think, it brings some impact in our clinic. I mean, by knowing that, I can, I think, I. I become a better clinician, it, it can help. It's just not, it's not only like a random knowledge in a textbook that you have to memorize. This is clinical daily life. Absolutely, great. So now taking this to the metaphysics of the article, you know, mm -hmm. as a resident, when I was reading all these key publications, you always have these questions about what were the authors thinking? Uh, is this something that they were anticipating that would have so much impact? So this particular publication, has about 750 citations thus far, mm. and 50 of them have, have been only in 2018. So that means that we can safely say that this study has passed the test of time. So were you expecting uh, this success? Oof, no, no. Okay. Honestly, Gustavo, no. Okay. And I have to tell you, the reason why I think I was successful, we were successful in describing what we were seeing because obviously many people before me they have examined ovular socket healing ovular socket why nobody paid attention about these details why the reason why is because it just happened that in my previous studies i studied the periodontium formation all my previous studies about dtr in which i described the regeneration of periodontal tissues not only the cement and the periodontal ligament, but also the bundle bone. I knew the bundle bone. I, I knew how it looked like. I, I knew what was the normal bundle bone. So when I start to see all the healing sockets, and I start to see, well, 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 the socket walls, oh, there's something different happening here. This is different. Because of my background, so I was able to describe, and I was able to describe in the proper way what was happening. But uh, I, I, I really, really was not thinking 
about the impact. I was just thinking about uh, applying my previous knowledge in which what I was seeing in front of my eyes, and maybe just because of that I was able to see what was there. Many people had seen before, but they could not uh, understand what was going on. But that was the reason. And I remember, uh, well, one of the one of my kicker publications before that uh, publication 2005 was the publication in wheat i described the bone formation inside a forcation defect uh, in that particular study you see that everything i had applied in that 2005 paper i described uh, the provision of connective tissue, I described the blood clot, the granulation, the formation of primary osteum, secondary osteum, the remodeling, the modeling, everything was there. So I just applied that knowledge in the socket. So in this sense, I was very fortunate because it, uh, I was somehow prepared by a coincidence of life, fate. I was prepared for that study somehow but I could not anticipate the, the impact. And now I have to tell you that I'm, I feel very happy, and very happy indeed, that I know that, that this study was really able to help so many people. I'm really honored that I had done such contribution to dentistry, really, honestly. Yeah, and the community is also thankful. Oh, There's thank no you. doubt about that. Oh, it's my pleasure. <laughs> So what you described is a very nice story about uh, connecting the dots, right? And mm -hmm. how knowledge is power. You never know how what you have acquired, the interactions that you have with your mentors, reading. If you keep those treasures, those pearls, it can really help you making an impact in the future and maximizing the opportunities, whether it's research or treating patients. Yes, yes. And uh, I think everything came together and uh, yes. I mean, uh, was, uh, let's say that I was very lucky to be in the right moment, in the right place, and everything came together at the same time. So <coughs> we have talked about what has been done. And uh, you gave us some information about some other studies and biological knowledge that we have at our fingertips today. But what are the questions that are still remaining, the main questions in this area of research, and why? Do you think that those questions are important? In other words, where are the gaps in our knowledge? Well, well, let's see. The knowledge regarding uh, management of the ovular socket, so okay, therapy, regarding taking it to therapy. The well, let's start saying by saying the following. So far, we are not able to preserve the bone volume one hundred percent. Absolutely. Uh, even we are, if we were very successful in doing socket graft, everything we have graft, we were successful to have a newly bone formation in that grafted area. It, but it doesn't mean that I was able to stop the resorption of the socket wall. Of course, it becomes more clinically relevant when we talk about buckle, because at the lingual palate, the socket walls are usually wider, so it's sometimes not clinically relevant. Nevertheless, it's still, we don't know how to stop. And uh, maybe if we never be, we will never be able to do this. F uh, but I have to say that uh, 
unfortunately, to lose the very thin buccal wall, let's, uh, let's say a half millimeter, from half millimeter to, to 0.6 to 0.8 millimeter. This amount of volume, for most of the patients, not so very critical. If you still are able to preserve the remaining, what remains in the alveolar process, okay, you will be able to place an implant, there will be bone, there will be bone at the buccal aspect, maybe in highly demanding static situations, maybe this half millimeter of the buccal wall that you have lost might be important, who knows? But in general, uh, you will be able to finalize your uh, implant installation with uh, success. But I think, honestly saying, I would like to be able to understand what can I do to preserve 100% of the alveolar process. I don't think we know. Um, well, how to stop the bone modeling, how to control bone modeling to our benefit. To tell the truth, what we do is to compensate for the bone modeling. But we don't stop bone modeling, try to compensate. I know it's going to take place. I know that it's going to be more relevant depending on the anatomy. If my patient has doesn't have all four bone walls, if he has a dehiscence, if, even if he doesn't have a dehiscence, if the buccal wall is thinner or is thicker. So I know that the anatomy may, may play uh, a role in the final outcome of bone modeling. Nevertheless, what I do is to try to compensate for bone modeling. But uh, still today, I don't think how we can control it. Right. So I hear uh, the translation is case selection and treatment selection and the combination of those site-specific factors yes, and the I therapeutic agree. bullets that we have at our disposal, that equation is complex and you shouldn't underestimate as a clinician the, uh, the features of the site and the features of the patient as a whole, right? That there's so many questions to be answered. Yes, and it becomes very clear that because as you cannot control bone modeling, what you should do is to anticipate. You have to examine the anatomy the characteristics of the socket, so we can we can anticipate for the problems we we may have. Absolutely. So let's move on to um, the last two questions of our interview. Uh, I am very curious in the, your studies, uh, particularly if there's any anecdotes with this particular study, anything funny, anything interesting well, that happened as you were working in your project that well, you can share with the community? Yes, yes. Every time I talk about the studies, I have to remember that I did it together with Professor Linder. And uh, I have to say that uh, we formed a team. And although I don't know how to explain that, it just happened that we worked together so well. And I remember how many hours and hours you spent looking at the microscope together, just discussing back and forth, back and forth for many hours. It, it was a pleasure for me, and uh, it was so enjoyable. It was so enjoyable that I hope when people read the paper, they can feel with uh, how much joy we wrote the paper. The papers were written by us with big joy. It was such a big pleasure. Mm. And uh, that I keep remembering. 
Every time I talk about these studies, these classical studies, I remember that we did that with great joy. It was a great pleasure. Right. It's science is not so much about um, creating knowledge, but it's also sometimes about the camaraderie, the contribution. Yes, the is living outside of yourself. And yes. that's, that's what you're illustrating, that, that connection that you have with uh, Professor Linda. So since we're talking about people, and the box is a community formed by people from many different backgrounds, but we um, are very interested in understanding how can we support the young investigators, the young clinicians at the Osteology Foundation, that's one of the priorities. So as a conclusive remark, what piece of advice would you like to share with these young individuals are interested in developing quality science and making a mark in the, in the profession? Well, out of my experience, I can say two things. First of all, it's not always that it's fun, in the sense that it's hard work, really hard work. I have to, I, I tell you something. Uh, I spent all my Sundays in the lab. I didn't go home on Sundays. Every Sunday I was at the department. And uh, so I cannot say that, okay, it's always fun. But nevertheless, honestly saying, because I liked what I was doing, even if I agree, it was really hard work. Uh, Professor Lindy used to tell me that uh, it's very important your butt. How many hours can you stand sitting on table? Or not to sit on a table, sorry, sitting on a chair in front of the table, in front of the microscope. How much can you stand? And, okay, it's true. We have really to be psychologically prepared and to understand that we take many years of hard work to achieve, um, like say, let's suppose some excellence. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that has to be, uh, has not to be joyful. Uh, and you have to like a research. I mean, sometimes when I have a, a, a student of myself, and I feel that the student is not really enjoying the research. He's doing the research just to get a title just to get a title of a, a master's degree or a PhD degree, you know, honestly saying, nothing very good will come out of this because not many people out there really are not interested. You just have, it's like you go to the dental school and your main goal is to uh, uh, not flunk in the discipline. I have to, I need six to go through to the next level, that's what I'm gonna take. You know, this is not nice. I mean, you're not going to achieve great things like that, at least in research. It needs hard work, but also passion. Passion and dedication, passion, right? And dedication. So that's my advice. Honestly, if you don't like, if you're doing research just for the title, this must, I mean, I feel sorry. It must be very boring to spend so many hours in the library, so many hours in the lab, just to get a title must be very boring. So try to be a research if you really want, if you're interested in something. Otherwise, go to be a nice clinician. Isn't it fun to treat patients? Isn't it interesting? Oh, that's very, well, it's very good to be a clinician, I think. 
words of wisdom. Thank you very much for your no, time. Thank Dr. you very Araujo. much. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed the interview. And I would like to thank again Dr. Araujo yeah, for his time. Been, it has been a good pleasure. Okay, guys, thank you very much. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Oral Retro Ration Topic, a podcast by the Observatory.